Welcome to Remember Your Why. I'm your host, Kristen. Many of us suffer from addiction and mental health, and we're here to talk about stories of success and recovery. Whether you're just starting out or have been on the healing journey for some time, it's important to always remember the why that brought you here to this very moment. What makes your heart tick? What sets your soul on fire? What or who inspires you? Whenever you are feeling on the brink of fight or flight, remember you have survived everything that's been thrown your way. Hold tight to that, because what is on the other side of the ugly are some pretty beautiful things that teach us some profound lessons. My hope for this podcast is that it will bring healing and peace to both my guests and the listeners, in some way, in some form. There truly is light on the other side of fear and darkness. Let's find it together. Welcome to Remember Your Why. I'm your host, Kristen, and today I'd like to welcome Sydney into the studio. Sydney, thanks for joining us. Hello. I'm so glad to be here. Tell the listeners a little bit about yourself. I'm Sydney. I live in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I have two dogs, and they are my whole world. I love them. And how many years do you have sober? I'll be five years, April 28th. Yay, so exciting. So for those who are listening and don't know, Sydney and I go, we go back a bit to our Atlanta days. So this is, this is a special podcast today. So you have sobriety under your belt. When did your addiction start for you? Hmm. Fascinating. You know, I, I believe that you kind of have the gene or you don't have it. And if you have it and you continue to explore it, there's a cheesy saying that once you become a pickle, you can't go back to being a cucumber. And if you have that gene, (laughs) you'll definitely get there. I think at a young age, my addiction came out through self-harm. So I would say it really took on a, you know, mind of its own probably in seventh grade. But I'd say when I was younger too, I had tendencies to, you know, harm myself, make myself feel better. So, but when I had my first drink, I was 16 and there was no, let's just have a drink. It was, let's see how far we can go and go to a different land so we don't have to feel the way we're feeling. Yeah. It was like a form of escapism. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit more on the self-harm, whatever you feel comfortable sharing? Yeah, for sure. Um, I started self-harming and cutting myself in eighth grade. Um, it was just a release. It's, you know, I believe in addiction as being the obsessive thoughts in the mind. And it kind of just really began then whenever I was like, oh my gosh, I need to punish myself for every mistake I do. Yeah. That's, um, that's intense. Yeah. How did you overcome that? Interesting. (laughs) I, so in seventh grade I started and I got super depressed and ended up having to switch high schools in high school because my parents were so worried about, you know, my safety. Right. And then um, overcoming that, I mean, once I joined a 12-step program, I'm very involved. I'll break my anonymity in AA and NA. And once I was able to really dig into the thoughts and why I am the way I am and understanding more, it wasn't knowledge that kept me sober. I w- I'll never say that. I mean, it's definitely my higher power. But for me, having such an active brain, it was really important to understand why I'm doing what I'm doing. So I would say the 12-step program, definitely. When did you know that things were, were were going down the wrong path for you? Like, you know, your addiction, when did it progress? I want to say I thought that I just couldn't drink like normal people. It progressed in college. It just, um, a couple things happened at home with my family and wasn't able to handle it and um, was drinking all the time and taking Adderall all the time. 
And then I got really suicidal. So I got admitted to hospitals and then I went to a, I mean, a recovery center. It was a faith-based rehab facility. Right. And so after that, I was like, perfect. I'm good now. Like I got my higher power. I have my religion. And for me, it it personally wasn't enough. I mean, I'm so thankful for that program and to understand what my higher power means for me in my life and giving me that foundation to really be able to then when I was going to that to AA, not be so turned off by God. I mean, I definitely had to reform a lot of understandings that were going to work for me if I was going to turn my will and my life over to the care of God. Like I had to really make a little bit nicer of a God and an inclusive God. What does your God look like for you? Um, I'm a universalist. So I believe um, Richard Rohr is a guy who I just love his study and I read his book, The Universal Christ. And so for me, I was going to church and, but I wasn't stopping drinking. And I had to really, I was like, I don't, for me, an exclusive God, it wasn't going to work for me just because I don't know. I felt like my older sister growing up, my older sister had a lot of special needs and she was excluded all the time and bullied all the time and exclusion. Then it never sat right with me. So my belief in my higher power, and it can obviously is very different for everyone. Yes. Um, I believe Christ died for everybody. And now we can all have access to a higher power, no matter what that looks like. That kind of just set my foundation and puts me on the right track. And I just think that, you know, hell for me is my ego self. And there's a lot of different interpretations of the Bible. And I don't want to go against what anyone else believes, but. Right. This I feel we are talking about this just because your higher power is whatever you want it to be. <laughs> yes, yes. It, it you know what, and that's the truth. Like whatever, whatever you find comfortable with. Honestly, my God, the God I understand doesn't give. Can we doesn't curse. curse. <laughs> doesn't give a fuck. Like he wants you well. He doesn't want you sick. He doesn't want you suffering. And once you've suffered and you've gone to hell, obviously you never want to go back and you never want to see anybody else go back. Like, I mean, still today, I don't know if there's mean people or not. I know there's really sick people. And yeah. once you're able to understand the, you know, the depths of a sickness and the generational patterns and what we're taught in our circumstances, there's, I mean, my God is really nice. He would never do anything harmful. I want your God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I that want to believe good. in that all the time. Sometimes I'm like, God damn it. Yeah, of course. You know, because we're going to have moments where <laughs> you question why things are happening. Yeah. But it's all part of the plan. It's all part of the journey. It really is. And I think just being able to trust that gives you so much more freedom to actually understand who you are and who the divine has made you to be and where you can be a blessing and being helpful to other people. I mean, I think a lot of times people think like, oh, volunteering, helping, whatever it might be, like that's service work. That's not fun. As long as I can get out of myself like that, giving is what is getting. And so it's actually selfish. You know, you're like, I got to give, pour into somebody else's life so I can get out of my own way and not think about myself because- that's what works for me. Yeah, that's that makes complete and total sense to me. Yeah. So tell me about when things got very dark for you with the drinking. Did you use drugs? Adderall. Okay. Loved me some Adderall. Okay. So when did things get very dark for you and you okay. knew you, you had to stop? Well, you know, Coop, there's a couple times <laughs> where I knew I had to stop but couldn't stop. Yes. <laughs> We've okay. all been there. <laughs> <laughs> The time, okay, I will say the time where I was like, oh shit, I am so powerless over this disease of addiction. I am completely powerless. And that's hard for me to understand. I think being an athlete, 
you know, I was like, you can overcome anything you put your mind to. So that was so hard and it took a while, but I went to, like I was saying, I'm sorry, I didn't answer this earlier. I went to a faith-based rehab facility. And after that, I think it was like two years and I had the man of my dreams and my identity was lying in men and what people thought of me. And um, that relationship didn't go according to Sydney's plan. Right. And I started drinking again. And it was like, everything had been going so well. And then all of a sudden, once I took my first drink, I couldn't stop drinking. And that's when it, when the drinking got really bad. It's been such a journey for me. I think dealing with depression and mental illness, you know, that is part of my story and finding, you know, going to hospitals for self-harming and suicide, like that was all part of my disease and addiction. But I think when I couldn't stop drinking, it wasn't the worst I had been, but it was the most powerless I had felt. And Mm. I finally had a little bit of a step of something I didn't want to lose, you know, and once you have what you don't want to lose, you're willing to go to any lengths to get sober. Yeah. So I I literally Googled, you know, my parents had never heard of, they didn't know anything about AA and they weren't taught on it. And, you know, a drunk was like someone, a homeless person. And it's just not the case anymore. A drunk is a doctor, a lawyer, whatever, whoever. Anybody. Uh, Anybody. No matter what your education is. And so it was that whenever I was like, oh my gosh, I am drinking all night long. I can't, I don't, I can't stop drinking. And that's when my drinking was very apparent that I needed outside help. Yeah. You had to, you had to kind of get out of your own way there as well. Yeah. And, and find, find recovery. I mean, that's how I feel. Like until you're, until you're ready and able to make that change for yourself. It won't work. So I remember you said you had a few a few times, you know, you thought about stopping and couldn't. But I think that's normal for anybody, you know, who suffers from addiction I um, think and mental health. Absolutely. And I think stopping and being dry is very different. I was dry for my whole first year in the rooms of AA. Yeah, that's the worst. Things came out sideways. Things come out yeah. sideways. All the isms, the, you know, the food, the relationships, the whatever it is, you know, that you can pick up easily and not feel the way you're feeling. Yeah, it really came out my first year. And I was like, what is this? And then finally, I had a sponsor who was like, this is alcoholism. And I was like, but I don't understand. It's a disease centered in your mind. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand. Now, let me ask you this. Do you think there is a stigma against addiction and mental health right now? Absolutely. Of course. Yes. Oh my God, Mm -hmm. people are so scared of anything they don't understand. And I have it and I didn't understand it. Come on. That's unfair for people to just get it. We have to educate them. It's going to take a lot of time. It's going to take a lot of years and there's a lot of studies coming out on it. I think what's so confusing is it's like, is it genetic? Is it not? Right. I mean, part of it is there's more studies coming out on that. Definitely. But um, I think it's it's just hard to understand. If I think most people nowadays, especially post pandemic, I mean, the rooms on Zoom when we had our AA meetings, they're filling up. I mean, you're alone, you're isolating. What are you, you're mm-hmm. drinking more and more? I think people will become more and more educated on it now. Yeah, I think it. I think we still have a ways to go. I think it's better than it was, you know, five years ago. But I definitely think there's a lot of work to be done. I think- Mental illness is the first to be talked about. And what comes after mental illness? How are you coping with it? Oh, drugs and alcohol. So it it's just on the road. It's coming. It's definitely the next thing. But I'm glad mental illness is being talked about more. I mean, it's it's huge now. I think it's wonderful. It's prominent. Like it's just, it's everywhere. And yeah. I think literally almost everybody, if not everybody, has some form of mental illness, whether or not they want to admit it or whether or not they know and recognize it. 
I think we all have something. Well, I think we know someone who has something for sure if we're not Mm -hmm. totally able to identify that for ourselves. Yeah. Our loved ones get very deeply affected, you know, Mm. by our addiction and mental health. How are your relationships now with your loved ones compared to when you were in active addiction? It took a lot of work and it was so hard. My relationships are, are good now. You know, one of my favorite sayings was, thank God I'm the problem because then there's a solution. If I'm not the problem, I have no control over changing other people. So I really, my first sponsor, she was an older woman who had been been in AA for 20 years and just kicked my ass and victim mentality out the window. This is, you need to face everything. And I was living at home and I mean, it was, I had to be present and intentional with my relationships daily because I was faced with my family daily. Families are hard and we do affect them and it is a family disease. And yeah, it it was very difficult in the beginning. I will say friendship wise has taken a lot of work, like um, Mm -hmm. rebuilding friendships and some people not really wanting to be your friend and accepting that. That's probably been harder. My family, I mean, God bless them. They're a little codependent. So they were fine with me like (laughs) wanting to be with them. There's a lot of a lot of trust rebuilding that needed to happen. Yeah, 100%. They were very patient with me compared to other families. I mean, they yeah. weren't letting me go anywhere. So That's crucial is having that support. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Absolutely. Yeah. I was able to make smarter decisions and get to a place of health, not faster, but m- more full right. compared to other people, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it really sucks for people who don't have anyone to lean on, you know, in that time. Absolutely. That's why the fellowship is so important. We don't get sober alone. Nobody gets sober alone. Yeah. You need, you need to lean on somebody. I want to touch back on, you mentioned victim mentality. Mm. Can you explain that a little bit for the listeners who don't like, I understand it because I, that, that was me. That's still me sometimes. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Victim mentality. Everything is happening to me. Poor me. I just keep doing this. People just keep doing this to me. It's because I'm so nice. I don't know. It's because I'm so mean, whatever it is, whatever extreme it is. It's just everything is happening to you instead of for you and being able to look we don't have control over our lives. So if you can find a place which is going to be the center of your mind for control, I mean, you have to take it. And that was a that's huge area of freedom for me being like, oh my gosh, okay, if things are not happening to me, but for me, then instead of trying to change anything else, I'm going to look at exactly what's happening here and be smarter and more intentional about my present moment and taking control of these choices that I have. That was a huge flip in my switch. What is the most important lesson you've learned this year? Oh, wow. This year. Because it's March, you know? (laughs) Okay. Go last year. (laughs) (laughs) Last year, my theme was relationships. I was rebuilding a lot of friendships and being more intentional about my friendships and learning um, what, who, who do I actually enjoy being with? And Mm -hmm. instead of, you know, my first year of sobriety was like, you have to like everyone, you have to love everyone, you know, because I just needed to get out of my way. And it was fantastic. So my last year, I mean, sobriety for me is all about relationships, relationships with myself, relationships with others, relationships with God. So learning to navigate those well has been a huge turning point. And even now still having people in my life who bring me life and who suck life out of me, understand it's incredibly humbling to think that 
you know, you can love people and love people well and be very intentional about, you know, your words and your actions. But it's very humbling to know that I'm not God and I can't change people. I have to adapt to what people have to give me. And I think that was a really hard lesson to learn for me. Yeah. I mean, that is difficult because you're dealing with so many different personalities, you know, and, and then you have the thing, you know, with boundaries, you have to have boundaries with people. So yeah, there's a lot that you have to build up to have solid, healthy relationships. Yeah. And it takes a lot of learning and experience and mm-hmm. time. And oh my gosh, an addict, time, patience. Uh-uh. I want it now. It, yeah. <laughs> patience is not our forte. <laughs> no way. I want it yesterday. My parents call me yesterday, yesterday. Has to be done yeah. yesterday. Oh, so similar. <laughs> oh yeah. What is the best piece of advice you would give someone struggling with addiction and mental health? Look for the similarities, not the differences and be open-minded. Oh, I like that. Look for the similarities, not the differences. Get to a meeting. Get in there. They are just like you and stop going in there and being like, none of these people are like me. They don't look like me. They don't dress like me. If you can get out of your own way and just sit the fuck down, pull up a seat, sit down. Your choices have brought you here. So you are not making the best choices. Someone else will help you make better choices. Be open-minded and look for similarities. Yeah, you're there for you're there for a reason. I would tell you, a normie is not Googling AA meetings. Right, exactly. Yeah. So maybe you might not be a normie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there is, I mean, oh my God, there is nothing wrong with it. Oh, it is just fantastic if you give yourself an opportunity to be a part of an organization or a high power bigger than yourself. It's the easier, softer way. What are you most grateful for? Grace. Mm, Elaborate on that. Still to this day, I will be like, oh, I messed up. And I'll think of ways to punish myself. And learning to be uncomfortable and walking through that feeling of not getting something right has been drastic for me. But learning that it's okay to mess up. Oh, my gosh. And being uncomfortable, learning to be uncomfortable. Yeah, which is very difficult. But once you get through it and not around it or not over it or not talking yourself out of it, it's okay to be uncomfortable. Yeah, the only way to get better is you have to go through it. It it just, it it won't work any other way. People think, okay, I'm going through it and I'm going to be comfortable going through it. Oh, girl, you can be uncomfortable, very uncomfortable. Yeah. And it's okay. Yeah, it's what the, you know, it's so cliche. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so many people, we've talked about this on the podcast already, but it's okay not to be okay. And, and that's just the truth. Yeah. Stop fixing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You just, listen, life and sobriety can be a beautiful thing. That yeah. is for sure. You and I are living proof because we had our we had our share of throwdowns we when, did. We, when we were hanging out back back in the day. <laughs> I will tell you that, you know, the old timers in the rooms that have had years and years of sobriety will be like, this is just the best thing in the world. And I would be like, shut up. I yeah. am the problem. I hate myself. I hate that I have this, you know. And now the more time that I get, I'm like, I'm so like normies have their own problems too. And they Mm -hmm. don't have anywhere to go and people to be with, to grow and learn. And for me, that's what my, that's what keeps me ticking, keeps me going. I want to learn and grow more and be more spiritually inclined to be available to my higher power. Yeah. And we have to accept ourselves and that, you know, this is our path, you know, unfortunately dealing with addiction, but then we get the flip side of it and it's sobriety and recovery. And depth and meaning and intentionality. Yeah. It's where we learn about ourselves. Yeah. We're going to do a fill in the blanks. Ready? Fun. Yeah. I knew you'd like it. (laughs) 
When I am blank, I feel most like myself. Creating. Mm. You're an artist. I'm sorry. I'm an artist. I make wall pieces out of concrete. And they're beautiful pieces. Thank you. My journey has led me to believe in. Easier, softer ways. Mm-hmm. What have those looked like for you? A nicer, higher power that he is, that he or she is, or it, whatever, is actually good, really good. Better yeah. than me, nicer than me. Yeah. You are never too young or too old too. It's over. <laughs> yeah. I know. That seems like the obvious answer for this podcast. <laughs> uh, you're never to learn to learn about yourself. Yeah. And we're ever changing people, you know, like every day there's something new that we're learning about ourselves, which is kind of cool, actually, when you think about it. I mean, we're also self-obsessed. May as well learn about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite quote is, what is your favorite quote? Do you have a go-to? Oh my gosh. Interesting. I think right now Brene Brown said, and it can come out pretty harshly, but if you're something along the lines of, um, if you're not in the rear arena, I don't need your criticism unless you're out there like putting in the blood, sweat, and tears. Your Ooh. criticism is not welcome here. Oh, I like that a lot. It sounds really feisty, but sometimes you have to be kind of feisty to live. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And, and that's so true. And that kind of goes with back to the boundaries thing, you know? Yeah. Like have, have your boundaries with people if they're not in your arena. Oh, I like that a lot. Would you like me to read it? Yeah. A lot of cheap seats in the arena are filled with people who never venture onto the floor. They just hurl mean-spirited criticisms and put-downs from a safe distance. The problem is when we stop caring what people think and stop feeling hurt by cruelty, we lose our ability to connect. That's actually not the quote, but that's a great one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's another good one. Yeah. I like them both. She yeah. She's really great. I, I like her a lot. I think she has a lot of powerful uh, messages to put out there. Absolutely. I mean, studying vulnerability is just, it's the root of so many insecurities, which just leads to self-hate, which just leads to mental illness, which just leads to addiction. I mean, Brene Brown is doing such a phenomenal job on educating our world on addiction. Yeah. And thank God for people like that. Yeah. Because it's still so misunderstood, I feel. Huge. Hugely misunderstood. How do you remember your why, your purpose, the path that you're on? You know, I will say in the beginning of my sobriety, that was incredibly important for me to remember my why. And it was thinking of the little girl on the floor alone, hurting and no one around. And that was my why when that next little girl comes in. Or girl, I'm sorry. I mean little girl in the sense that we all have a little girl inside of us that's been harmed and we're trying to protect her and we use mm -hmm. volatile coping mechanisms that are no longer helpful to us. But I would say in the beginning, it was the little girl alone crying on the floor, so misunderstood and not knowing what was wrong with her, but thinking, oh my gosh, something's wrong with me. Something's wrong. With me. That was my why in the beginning. I think now I'm so okay with mystery, which is incredibly crazy to say because I wanted to know everything in the beginning of my sobriety journey. I had to know. I had to know what was yeah. going on. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I don't have to know at all. It's really driving me forward right now. All right. Last piece of advice to anybody struggling right now. What would you say? AAinterweb.org. There's a meeting every hour on the meeting. Get in a meeting. Get in a meeting. Go to a meeting. Go. Sorry. Like, what do you, like, you have zero things to lose where you are right now. Nothing could be worse than where you are right now. 
Yeah, you can always get help. AAintergroup.org. There is a Zoom meeting every hour on the hour, every half hour. Talking is so, we, you know, in the Christian faith, they believe that God spoke the world into existence. So if God is speaking things into existence, then speaking must be pretty damn important. Yeah, it's not healthy to hold things in. You have to, like you said, you have to talk about it. You have to put yourself out there, you know, which is hard for for people like us to do. And putting Um, yourself out there sometimes just means pulling up a seat, sitting down and listening. Yeah. As long as you're connecting. Connection is huge. That's the first step. Yeah, we need that. I want to thank you, Sydney, for coming on the podcast today and joining us. Thank you for asking me. This was such a pleasure, such a little treat. Yes, and it's so good to see you. Oh my God, it's so good to see you. I know. Look at us. We are <laughs> we are living proof that sobriety and recovery is possible and oh that God. it is a beautiful, beautiful path to be on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a path that's attainable. It just feels out of reach to maybe people struggling right now, but- Don't give up. Don't give up. It's okay to mess up. But it's not okay to not keep going. Yeah. Don't don't count yourself out because, you know, you are never too young or too old to change, to get sober, to allow yourself, like you said, that grace. Yeah. Thank you again. Guys, this is Remember Your Why.